on my panel today, I have uh, James Maloney, who's the Senior Re Regional Development Executive with uh, Enterprise Ireland, uh, the State Agency for Business Development. Uh, Danny O'Brien, who's the Managing Director of EMEA uh, with SVG Ventures and their Thrive uh, Initiative. And Nikki DC, who's the Managing Partner of Yielab Europe. Um, it's a pleasure to have you all with me today, uh, folks, uh, and thanks for joining me on this panel discussion. Um, James, if I could come to you first. Um, I mean, you know, I I've worked with you over the years in terms of the Enterprise Ireland's Innovation Arena, which has been a really good forum for uh, ag tech startups and new ideas coming through. And every year when we're judging the Innovation Arena, I mean, give us a sense of what you're looking for as somebody who works in Enterprise Ireland. What makes a good idea? What, what you know, companies, uh, what, what you want to see in a, in, a, in a startup company when you're, when you're looking at them? Yeah, it's um, it's a combination of, of, of a, a lot of things, Larkin. We're, we're looking for the big idea, the right idea, I suppose, um, and looking for the team. It's it's very important, like that, that you see the team and the ability of the people to deliver on on what their what their what their target is, um, and also to work with them. Like so, we we can take that and like offer financial support or mentoring, or the networking that goes with it, which is the innovation arena is a really hive of. Uh, activity in, in that space. Unfortunately, with COVID, we haven't had the live event now since 2019. But if we just give them um, kind of a snapshot, like last year, we would have had about 50 applicants in uh, for the virtual competition. We've actually 51 this year. And of them, then uh, roughly about 10 of them have gone on to receive investment from EI, uh, either through the our HPSU funding, which is a high potential startup, or CSF. Um, and if you look at that, then uh, where we were last year from an enterprise earning point of view, we had about 125 uh, startups that we invested 48 million in. So proportion, maybe about maybe somewhere between six and seven percent of that is going towards ag tech uh, and food in Ireland. Um, and just on the, what Jared said, it's a, it's a really important sector. If we look at it from an enterprise earning point of view, it's a huge amount of the, the jobs we support um, and the companies that are involved in the sector. Um, so I think it's about 150,000 jobs all outside of uh, of Dublin or major some of them as well. So it's a it's a re it's a really big sector for us, and innovation will be key to it. And we see the challenges that are coming ahead. They've been touched on by other speakers, uh, particularly the Green Deal in agriculture, ag climatize. Uh, as as we shape the future, we're looking at the in the innovators who can look at the challenges that lie ahead. Uh, and see how it's going to adopt and complement what we're doing in the ag in the ag space at the minute, because I think it's in all in all our interests uh, that that's the way we and the direction we move towards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Nikki uh, DC uh, from uh, the managing partner of Yulab Europe. If I could come to you, uh, you are obviously Yulab is a, is, a, is a huge fund, uh, but you've a quite a strong presence in Ireland and particularly in ag tech. You've a, you've a good track record here. From your perspective, what is it you that attracts is attractive about Ireland uh, in terms of ag tech uh, innovation, and what is it you look for, I suppose, in in new companies? Hi, Lorcan. So thanks very much for having me today. Um, I might just, I suppose, use this opportunity just to give everybody a little bit more information about our fund and what we do, um, and also then perhaps touch on some of the points around what do we look for in terms of the companies that we invest in. So we are the largest ag tech uh, venture capital fund in Ireland, uh, and we are one of the largest at seed stage in Europe as well. Uh, we are from Ireland, we're an Irish team, 
Uh, there's three main general partners. There's myself, another guy called Paul Finnerty, who ran ABP, which is the largest beef processor in Ireland, and a guy called David Bowles, who was a partner in Delta, um, which is a venture capital fund focused on tech companies. So between us and I have spent many years working with med tech companies, raising capital and helping them scale and go to market and raise seed in Series A rounds. And Paul and I worked together back in KPMG corporate finance back in the day for many years. So we are an Irish team. We understand the Irish landscape and we're very, our roots are here. Uh, we're not an import. Um, we are, you know, Irish. And in fact, we are kind of taking the work that we're doing here and bringing it to Europe. Um, so we recently closed a 50 million fund uh, and today we have 12 investments spread over two different funds. Um, of those, six of those companies are Irish. We have quite a few of the companies already mentioned today in our portfolio. Uh, we have Hexafly, we have Apis Protect out in Cork, we have Microgen Biotech, uh, which is the crop health company. We have Microsymbiotics, which is aquaculture vaccines for fish. Uh, we have Micron Agritech, which is our um, point of care diagnostics for uh, parasitic infections in livestock. And we have a company called Equimetrics, which is an animal health monitoring company. Um, which is focused at the moment on horses, but moving into other animals as well down the line. So, um, so we have a wide portfolio of, of everything really. We have a lot of on-farm upstream type of technologies. We have digital technologies for helping farmers to manage their, their assets at scale. Um, we have a bioinsecticide company that's closing. We have alternatives to chemical herbicides, etc. So I suppose in terms of how we see it, um, we see the biggest issue at the moment coming down the tracks is climate change. Um, it's a huge problem. We can see all the kinds of, even in California, all this stuff about drought and farmers and water supplies being cut off and forest fires already starting. So globally, we can see climate change all the time. And we know it's to do with human intervention. And we know that ag and food systems are a significant contributor towards that. Estimates range between 20 and 40%. Um, and here in Ireland, we know that our on-farm emissions are around 33%. And there's a lot more than that that happens before things get to the farm, such as the production of agrochemicals and fertilizers and things. And then when food leaves the farm, there's further um, emissions before you actually consume the food. So if you add the full supply chain, you're probably looking at somewhere in the range of 40, 45% of our total emissions in Ireland are connected to our systems of agri-food. And they're also responsible for lots of other problems like water eutrophication, deforestation, biodiversity loss. There's lots and lots of problems with how we produce food today, not just in Ireland, but globally. They're global problems. Um, and if you look at other sectors such as electric cars or windmills for electricity, you know, we have used technology to tackle the problems in other sectors successfully. And we have found solutions that will replace historical ways of doing things and are enabling sectors to pivot into operating in ways that are going to be sustainable in the long run, where we can continue to do this indefinitely without harming our environment and our planet and having a good quality of life for everybody on the planet, all animals, plants, species, including us as human beings. But we haven't yet got to that point in agriculture and food. Um, but the good news is that there is a lot of really interesting innovation coming down the tracks. Um, we in Ireland have our set of problems to deal with in terms, particularly in terms of um, ruminant emissions of enteric methane and things like that. The good news is there's lots of good technologies coming along. We are at the very early stage. So we are pre-seed and seed stage investors. That's where we focus. Today, we track 2,100 companies in Europe. Um, so far this year, we've already assessed more than 700 companies. And we are really gearing up to try and tackle this issue around um, enteric methane because that's really the biggest element of the problem. And we do believe that having seen probably 20 or 30 companies in this space, that there will be solutions to this. 
Uh, and this is where we need to really focus our efforts and help these companies scale and do other clinical trials and get through the regulatory approvals and check that the stuff is safe, that the animal's productivity is not affected, that it's cost efficient, safe for human consumption, fertility is okay, and that it actually works in terms of tackling methane. And likewise, there's other things like um, fertilizers coming off lands, evaporating from lands, there's other sources of, of, of methane and uh, CO2 from farming and food waste. And th there's plenty of other areas, but, but I think methane is probably the biggest one that we want to yeah. focus on. So uh, we are a food and ag specialist. We've invested since 2017. We're part of a global network of funds. We have sister funds in North America, LATAM and Asia Pacific. Collectively, we have about 60 companies in our portfolio. And we have a very, very good success rate in terms of helping our company scale and go to market and, and them succeeding. We've had almost no failures ever. Uh, going back as far as 2015. So we invest across Europe and focused around this whole theme around sustainability and early stage investment. So that's that's essentially what we do. And, and Nikki, from your perspective, the, the pipeline that you see when it comes to some of those solutions, particularly to methane, because they're tricky problems to solve. Um, are you confident, would you, you think that maybe in 10 years time that there will be a kind of a suite of technologies for farmers that will help really, really tackle this, this challenging problem? Yes, I think there will be. Uh, and I, I think it'll be normal. It's the same way no one will be driving petrol cars in 10 years time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you won't have big, dirty gas burning, coal fired power stations in parts of the world and all the other things that we have today that are not sustainable. I think all that stuff will be gone. I think this is going to be the decade where we're actually going to pivot much of our industry and our, you know, how we run our economy from a way that historically has been unsustainable to a way that is fully sustainable and is circular and doesn't produce waste and is compatible and sympathetic to our natural environment because we can continue doing what, what we're doing. We've mm -hmm. been given all the warnings, we have all David Attenborough's and people like that, you know, we have all the reports from all the scientists, we have complete unanimity really in the scientific community that we are on track to completely destroy our own planet and make it uninhabitable if we don't change what we do. So this is a huge wake up call and we all have to really wake up and, and get moving on it and change how we do things. And I think the political will and the corporate will and the consumer will um, is actually finally all aligning where we have the Green Deal coming in, EU mm -hmm. policies coming in. There was a big article in the Irish Times yesterday about the German economy moving away from industrial farming completely and that all being changed. The whole base of the cap will probably look to follow that kind of new models around farmers really being incentivized um, and consumers being incentivized and everyone being incentivized for a good environmental uh, behavior and moving away from cheap foods that's produced on, at a very high scale and a very low cost, which is really damaging to farmer incomes and is damaging mm -hmm. to the environment and is not good for any of us. We have bad quality food and people are eating junk and people are getting fat and overweight and we have obesity problems and all kinds of health problems. So it's a really bad system. And it's really long due a, a major rethink about what really are we doing here? Because it really doesn't work for anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, uh, Danny, if I could come to you, um, as I mentioned, you're, you're Managing Director of EMEA with SVG Ventures. Uh, like Danny, you've a long career of, of dealing with uh, innovation, startups uh, and things like that. Uh, so you're a good judge of what makes uh, a good company ready for investment. What, from your perspective, what are the signs you look out for as, uh, in a company when you're potentially making an investment? Not just the idea, what are the other things that you would look out for? 
Yeah, thanks, Lorcan, and uh, thanks for having me today. Um, great to be here. Just to give a quick kind of overview of SVG Ventures Thrive, um, for, for those who don't know, we're a Silicon Valley-based accelerator and investment fund. It was set up by John Hartnett, uh, who's a Limerick man, um, so Irish heritage um, back in 2010 or so. We do um, about, about 10 companies per year in terms of our accelerator. We've just wrapped up our seventh cohort, um, so over 60 investments now to date, including three Irish companies, uh, Microgen Biotech, Neurotas, and Magro. So um, we've always been impressed by the, by the companies coming out of Ireland, even though we invest globally. Um, in terms of what we look for in startups, um, the first thing, and a lot of VCs will say this, is really the team. Um, you know, we'd rather have an A team with a B product rather than a, a B team with an A product, so to speak, um, because the founders will figure it out. A good team will figure it out. And they'll pivot and they'll come up with something that does work. Um, so that's really number one for us. Um, and there's no exceptions on that. Um, you know, ideally, you know, multiple founders in a team uh, with a good blend of business and tech experience is good. Um, serial founders who have done it before is, is always good as well. Um, in terms of, you know, after that, you know, the technology or the IP is always important. Um, I think defensibility is, is, is very key in, in ag tech um, in terms of, you know, some of the spin outs we're seeing from universities who have strong IP protection allows them to really scale and capture global markets. So um, anything that can kind of build a moat around what you're, what you're trying to build is very important. Um, and then some of the other things are things like the market size, the total addressable market, um, any traction that, that, that's there, um, you know, that can be revenue, that can be patents, it can be, um, it can be awards, pilots and things like that. Um, and then finally, the business model is, is also important. Um, I think, you know, especially in, in agriculture, um, there's, there's kind of some innovation happening around the business model. Um, there's, you know, you know, the kind of uh, the typical SaaS models don't always apply in, in ag tech, uh, you know, for farmers. So there's some innovation happening around how we can work with farmers in terms of sustainable financing solutions to adopt this technology on the farm as well. And um, so that's an important, uh, you know, area to, to consider as well. So that's kind of a flavor of what we look for in founders. Just to clarify as well, we invest in seed and series A stage. Um, so we're looking for, ideally companies have a little bit of traction, uh, some revenue, some customers and things like that that we can, we can make a bet on. And Danny, there's a very good question here from one of our delegates. And again, I, I just remind our, our, anyone tuned in to submit your questions for the panel. And um, again, if you're using social media, use our hashtag uh, Sash AgriTech. But uh, Danny, a good question here, I think, um, from, from one of our delegates, you know, outside of funding and like, I mean, we were talking about money here, but at the same time, outside of it, like what are the other things that, you know, SVG Ventures Thrive would provide if they're investing in a company as well? You know, what's their expertise, I suppose you're going to may bring? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we describe ourselves as a innovation and investment platform. So we're not just a typical VC who who brings cash. Um, I think startups are looking for access to capital, number one, but also access to customers. Um, and we have a large corporate network of about 40 corporates in the world of agri-food who we work with. And these are leading names from around the world um, who we work with very closely on an innovation side um, to help kind of give them deal flow or an insight into what's happening in the industry, what's disrupting them, what's happening down the line for them. So um, that network is really crucial for, for startups. We can you know, help them you know, get in front of those, their innovation teams, uh, get paid pilots, um, get access to funding as well, um, which can be important. Not everyone wants to have a corporate investment in their, in their startup um, mm -hmm. at, at various stages, but that option is there as well. Um, I guess what, what we try to do as well, and we've been doing this for nearly 10 years, is bring the farmers and the whole ecosystem together. So working with the farmers to, to help understand what their challenges are, what their needs are, and how technology can make a difference. So we've 
we've been working with uh, you know various growing organizations. Uh, Lando Lakes in the U.S. would be one of the largest dairy co-ops to understand what their farmers are, you know, what their challenges are, and, and where we can apply technology to make a difference. Then, so for founders coming into the Thrive ecosystem, um, there's a great opportunity to reach those customers, be it farmers, be it corporates, and um, be, be it anyone else in the, in the ecosystem who um, would would look at adopting that that technology. So. That's what we've been doing for for you know the last last number of years. We've grown mm-hmm. from our Silicon Valley base um, to open up new new programs in Canada only last week. Um, we are also in, investing across Europe as well. We've got seven investments in Europe to date uh, and more globally as well. We, we have uh, more expansion plans. So a lot a lot happening at the moment. Okay, uh, good stuff, Danny. Nikki, maybe if I could go back to you, the same question to you in terms of what else does Yilab bring to the table other than just the capital that uh, it may inject into the company? Uh, well, I suppose like um, like SPG Thrive, we also invest early. So we'll also come in with 100K checks as well. But we now with the larger fund, we can start at kind of half a million, 750K checks up to a million uh, to begin with. And we can reserve another two to three million per company. So, um, but we still like to come in early. Um, we think coming in early is really important um, to make sure things are done and set up in the right way and to help steer the companies along. And I think that's the most challenging part of the journey for companies. And they really need hands-on investors who are really involved with the companies and not just for a window of time that people are on an accelerator program, but that you stay with them. Um, for in some cases years I mean we have companies that we're still as involved with now as we were back in 2017 and 2018 some move on and they outgrow you and other investors come in and take it on but others still need us and we need to be available and and there for our companies to help support them uh, through what can be quite challenging times and COVID has been very difficult and um, all of our companies have come through that really well they've all actually raised a lot of money um, but certainly we had to really roll up our sleeves and get stuck in. So that's part of it. Two, we have a really good global network through our other ULAB funds. We have access to massive uh, depth and range of expertise through those global networks. Uh, and we also have access to a lot of corporates, a lot of other VC funds, and very good networks across Europe and indeed beyond that. Uh, we also have a partnership with Wageningen University, which is probably the number one ag tech university. We are the investor in residence in their accelerator program, which is called Start Life. Um, and we're very involved with that. That's kind of an earlier stage program. We're also involved with um, Nova UCD's Ag Tech Accelerator as well. And we're one of the, on the steering committee and involved in that too. So we're very much into ecosystem building and working with all of these different organizations to bring forward the best kind of research led uh, early stage startup companies. So it's money, but it's expertise and it's networks and it's opening doors yeah. for people. Uh, and and giving them the right advice and being a trusted advisor, being someone who's fair and who is trusted by the founders as someone they can come to and talk to when they have problems. Um, and not, you know, I suppose someone who's really there on their side to listen to it and try and figure out what the best solution is and, and deal then with the other parties and negotiate things um, and solve problems that, you know, as a, a, a professional person who, is independent but is trusted by all so mm-hmm. i suppose that's really our role sure sure james if i can come to you in, in enterprise ireland i mean you would speak to an awful lot of companies in your role and everything sort of a very broad range of ideas and people and groups um what's kind of something that you see as a recurring is there recurring teams or what, what do you see sometimes with companies that outside of funding that they often need help with 
Yeah, often, Lorcan, the funding is the easy bit. We we have the mechanisms and the funds uh, to draw it down. Like, but the, the help is um, it's to get the ambition and to develop in the mindset and and probably the business plan uh, and the ability to ask for help. There's help at every stage, and like you, you know the road to a startup. It, it's not a straight line; like it goes around in zigzags. And startups, you know, they end up in in rabbit holes that might not work. And Sean mentioned it before. And often it's it's someone to put a little bit of structure on that and the ideas uh, to get them to move forward. Um, so the common the common the common one will be is, is the team, and for very early stage companies it will come back to, to to money, and that's where kind of our CSF investment gives them a little bit of breathing space to take that time and and uh, work with the team to develop that uh, there with the mentors, and um, also. Before this stage, in a really, really early stage, is our new Frontiers program, which we deliver through the the, uh, the IT network, and we've eleven hubs throughout the country, um, and that's really an entrepreneurial journey, um, way before you get to the stage where you're looking for a VC investment. And I think that's that's really where Enterprise Ireland can come in, give the time and the supports uh, through the wide wide network we have and the thirty six international offices. Often, if it depends on the ambition. Like we've some companies and they only want to, they want to be an SME. They don't want to be a global, they don't, they don't want to be a large global player and that's fine too. So we can, we can gear up our different lanes for where we need these companies to mm-hmm. go. Um, and that's kind of what, where we hope to help and we can make the connections with, with Danny and Nikki and we've invested in the Yield Lab as well uh, in terms of their fund. So it's really about creating an ecosystem that we can all build together. Yeah. And James, um, so uh, there's there's a good question in here in terms of, um, you know, potential unicorn ideas in the agri-tech sector, which is, um, look, it would be great to see a unicorn uh, a company emerge from the agri-tech sector in Ireland. But, you know, Enterprise Ireland has the high potential startup fund and by the very name of what it is, it identifies high potential startup companies. What are some of the things that are areas where you see high potential companies or sectors you know subsectors that they're maybe involved in that there's a lot of potential for uh there's a big market potentially for some of these ideas um well if we, we look at um kind of our, our life sciences and fintech and they're huge sectors for us and i'd see ag tech and the way it's moving uh in terms of food and digitalization of a sector and the need for information there could be a cross-pollination here of, of different companies and different ideas as they, as they move forward. Um, I'd love to see the unicorn coming out the door and over the fence to us. It would be nice to get a big uh, win and a, and, a, and a buyout. But it's, um, it's often, a, it's like a, it's a football match. match. It's, a, it's, a, it's a strategic kind of place where we build up uh, where we're going to move. Um, and I'm not quite as pessimistic as as Nikki on the Armageddon of climate change. I do think we're uh, we're 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 we are doing and we have done a lot wrong in the sector. And hands up, the, and I think farmers will. And we've talked about this before. They don't like to lose money. They don't like to invest unwisely, and they, and they do like to protect their assets. But we we have serious change that will happen. And I think this the next ten years will be a really critical for the development of the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny, if I could come to you, I've a, I've a, an interesting question here, and it's probably a question that a lot of uh, people with ideas or startup companies um, are faced with because they're unsure. You know, this is a venture capital um, or funding is a new world to them, and 
just a simple question. What's the best way to approach uh, people like yourselves when it comes to, you know, making a pitch for funding or, or you know, looking for your support? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I'd say is that, you know, venture capital isn't, isn't suitable for everyone. I mean, there's a lot of hype and, you know, news around it and it gets all the headlines, but there's other ways to grow a company as well. And we've seen some great Irish examples of companies who've bootstrapped their way to, to success, like Terra Nutritech, for example. So it's not always, you know, the be all and end all. Uh, clearly, it, it can help accelerate what's already been done and accelerate your market entry and scaling journey. So um, in terms of reaching out, um, I mean, the research will show that warm intros um, are, the, are the kind of best way to have a, a supporter who knows uh, a VC, for example, and can recommend uh, that, that person or that founder. Um, that's kind of the way, the way most um, introductions tend to happen. And um, for us, you know, I can only speak to, to what we do. We, we spend a lot of time working with the early stage ecosystem to try find those founders. Um, we run a number of initiatives, um, for example, our challenges um, to find the best startups in a particular region. We're doing one at the moment in Europe. And we just closed applications, actually. And we had about 200 and, 280 or so uh, across Europe. And Arl was very well represented in that. So that was an open call for startups um, who can apply, tell us a bit about their company, and we'll review all those in detail. So that's um, a great way to get on our radar, I'd say. Um, we also have open applications for our accelerator program. But then again, we also do um, regular events um, when we're back able to do them in person again, I'm sure. Uh, we'll be at many conferences. So it's um, you know, we're open to cold approaches, um, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn, on, on email and things like that. But definitely we have structures there um, to allow founders just to reach out um, for our various initiatives. And you know, that's where, where we get a lot of our deal flow from. Mm, okay, interesting. Uh, Nikki, if I could come to you as well, another very good question here uh, from uh, one of our delegates uh, saying, you know, what are the mistakes uh, that a startup, startups often make, you know, that makes them maybe not investor friendly uh, or, or kind of maybe gives you, a, you know, that, that they make when they're mistakes that they make when they're making pitches, I suppose, uh, looking for funding. Okay, well, I suppose I wrote out a list of what we look for, so I guess it's related to that. Um, I think we like to look at technology, first of all, that's, that's deep tech. We like complexity in, in what people are doing, that there really is something about this that is really difficult for other people to replicate, because that comes back to defensibility. And people have, um, some people may have IP, it depends on what sector you're in, some things you can patent and other things you can't. Um, but even with patents, you can still invent around patents. So at some level, there needs to be deep domain expertise and a, you know, a level of complexity about the product and the technology that's going to make it difficult for others to copy. And that goes back to the founders really, really being kind of world leading experts, we would hope, or certainly you know, European level experts in their area of expertise and being really smart um, and really insightful in relation to that. Um, I think you know, another question is, is this solving a big problem or not? Is it a better mousetrap or is this really something that's really going to, you know, move the dial for big players and it's a big pain point and it's a big market opportunity. Um, so that if you can get this thing to work, that there's a big market for this thing and therefore it can be worth a serious amount of money as opposed to it's super niche and it's a teeny tiny thing. Like sometimes we see a lot of stuff, particularly in Ireland, that's like a, it's small bits of on-farm technology, like it's a, it's a sensor or it's a, it's a better gauge or it's a, you know, it's kind of what I would term gadgetry. It's not, it's not big enough to actually 
you know, the, the size of the market opportunity is just not big enough for a VC fund to, to invest into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not solving a big enough problem. And it's the kind of thing that even if you did invent, someone else would be able to copy it anyway. So there's nothing about it that's really sustainable and unique and proprietary and defensible. So I think that's really important. Um, I think as well, we look at, um, I'm just going to go through, about the, the level of technical risk. So the downside of complex things is there's a higher level of risk around not being able to develop it. So we will need to do technical due diligence because we normally come in when companies are pre-revenue. They're still developing their technologies normally. So we need to take a view and we will get external due diligence assistance with technical experts to assess whether or not we think the team have the ability to get this thing developed and the risks around that and where it's going to go wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. Another is people not looking for enough money. Sometimes people come in looking for a teeny tiny amount of money. It's a Mickey Mouse team and it's a Mickey Mouse plan. And it's just not going to be done in the right way. Um, also not being properly aware of the regulatory and clinical uh, strategy that they need to have. And, you know, thinking that they can bring this product to market and not fully budgeting in the amount of trial work they're going to have to do to A, get it approved if it's a regulated area, or B, just to prove to the market that it works um, and that it will deliver cost savings to the user such that they will justify the user spending X amount on it that you can actually prove the financial use case clearly uh, in order to justify a purchase price for the product. That can take time, and particularly in ag, where you have seasonality and you may have a growing season, you know, it might take a whole year each time around to, to do those trials. So there's mm-hmm. a window to get it done. And it can take a full year before you have the data that you can then start to scale up to the next uh, stage in your business plan. And you have a burn to fund in the meantime. Um, and obviously the team, as Danny said, Danny covered that point well. We look for good team, strong chemistry between the members, good uh, compatibility and complementarity in their skill sets, hard work, being realistic, um, being flexible, being coachable, uh, being really committed, uh, being fair, being honest, being ethical, um, and having a balance of kind of ambition and drive to get up and go, um, without being overly arrogant and not being so humble then that you kind of just going to get walked on. So yeah, kind of needs this, this balances on different things, but um, yeah, those would all be some of the areas that we would see interesting. falling down on. Interesting, Nikki. Inter- James, I think um, as well, and you're in, in the innovation arena at Enterprise Ireland's one that's uh, sometimes we see with some of the entries as well, that sometimes it can be a bit niche or, you know, haven't had their plan for, fully thought out like keeping with that question you know about th- areas where people where startups maybe fall down on the investment side what what, what would your advice be to startups i mean do they need to get out and talk to more people stress their ideas more you know test them bounce them off other people like yourselves or what, what's your views yeah generally larkin the first when we'd see stuff at early stage generally the first idea isn't the last idea that that people will invest in and i think uh Danny made a really good point and Nikki as well. It's the people, you know, that, that, that they talk to in developing that, that idea and that, that concept. Um, generally where we'd see it fall down is um, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't network enough. They don't ask for enough help. Uh, they're probably not aware of how they, the supports that are available to them. Um, and they have to really get that communication piece with the end market. And do you think, James, that's because uh, some maybe founders are, you know, precious of their idea and they don't want to share it because they think someone will steal it off them? 
it's exactly a Lorcan. Like it's probably going back to an old mindset. Well, I have I have this bag and no one else is going to see it and it's mine. But if you don't tell anyone or if you don't share something about your idea, I always say fifty percent of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to let it grow uh, and 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 to, to, to take the risk of getting other partners involved with the project if you can't grow it. And it's just it's it's actually how we mark on on our our competitions. Like we we will look at the marketplace, and we look we mark for the founders, the team, the financial. Uh, it's a matrix of marks where we assess a company as we go down through it, and yeah. all them boxes have to be ticked. And that's that's I think where a founder or a startup has to has to think when they plan their their concept as well so mm-hmm. is there a market for it first and foremost you know and nikki made the point like another sensor that tells us whether the gate is open or closed it's not going to change the world in terms of uh, innovation but what what are you looking for and it might be well brilliant it could be a great product for a, a co-op store or you know so it depends on the ambition it depends on a, a multitude of factors and where where we we can go and help the the developer products but You'll see it in the, in the innovation arena every year. We have, um, the, it's like the three lanes in the motorway. We have the fast lane, we have the slow lane, and then we've guys in the middle. And then we have some people um, that are there and they're just purely there to scope out what the market is for, for their idea, for the product. And sure. it's a great place to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I and mean, you'll, you'll meet great people as well, other you know founders as well and that. Danny, if I come to you, a very good question here. And it's... Um, it's not a simple one to answer i'd say is there a chance any you know agri-tech uh, idea is likely to be missed commercially because of the pace of technology um i.e that you know by the time it's ready to go to market that it's already sort of become outdated is that something that happens in uh, with startups um i i guess so uh, you know here here and there it's, it's it's a hard one to answer it depends on the sector i mean when we talk about agri-tech there's so many different sectors i mean when you talk about farm inputs and technology and biostimulants and things like that right through to supply chain or and then right through the foods like there's, there's so many different if you like sub industries within this space so it depends on where, where you're talking about um, but I think if you're you know for founders when they're thinking about uh, their their product or their solution you know going back to Nikki's point think about the problem you're solving and you know that technology that you're using to solve that problem at that time if it's good enough it might sustain um, over the future. But I mean, the space is definitely evolving so quickly. You definitely need to have one eye on the future, I would say, and think about what other technologies are coming downstream and what, where's, what's the environment gonna look like in a few years time? And is an AI or machine learning platform gonna disrupt what you're building now that might solve the problem today? So I think you need to be mindful of what's coming down the line. Um, but at the same time, if the product is good enough that can, that can fix the solution today, and well, then that gives you an opportunity to, to kind of work with those customers and develop further solutions and, and kind of evolve over time. I think, you know, the best teams you'll see, you know, keep evolving, keep moving, keep reinventing themselves. Um, and, and that's, you know, that'll help them sustain over the, over the future. So hopefully that answers the question. Mm-hmm. No, no it was, as I said, Danny, it wasn't a simple one to, um, uh, to, to answer. Yeah, I just, it'll probably change quicker in the next few years. If, if you look at some of the stuff we've developed in ag, you know, some of the successful machines and stuff, they've, they've had a 25, 30 year lifespan in terms of from their R&D, but the next few years is probably going to happen. It's going to happen a lot quicker, you know, with the, with the challenges that we face, that would be. Yeah, you know. interesting, Tim. Uh, also, we're coming um, up. Sorry, go ahead, make, One thing we do, like, because we have a global network of 
funds and we have people all around the world. When we look to invest in a company, we reach out to our global networks and say, guys, we're looking at this bioinsecticide company, for example. Um, what else are you guys looking at? And, and from that, we know what's happening. What else has been developed in North America? What else is coming through in Latam and Asia Pacific? That's really useful and really helpful. And likewise, because our fund covers all of Europe, we see lots of companies with a solution, you know, in Ireland or in the UK, but we know what else is going on in, you know, what else is best to breed in France and Germany and in Denmark. You know, we, we're seeing deal flow from all over Europe. Um, and we often know, like when we diligence a company, we'll, we'll often, often diligence five or six companies at the same time. We're all in the same sector. Obviously we won't pass confidential information between them, obviously not, that's our business. And we wouldn't be in business if we did that. But we will look at other companies and quite often we'll be aware of other competitors that the companies themselves won't have yet come across. Um, and that level of market insight is really helpful as an investor to try to invest in, in what will and try to future-proof our investments because there is so much innovation as um, as Joe Heffernan said earlier, I think in 2015, we had 3 billion going into agri-food tech. We now have 30 billion. So that's the pace, that's 10X over five years of growth. So that's the pace of acceleration of the number of companies coming through, the amount of capital going in, the growth in the market. And it's all happening around sustainability. That's a key driver. So we're, there's a big change in how we did things over the last 20, 30 years, as James said. That's not going to be how things happen over the next 10 years. And that's going to create a really explosive growth opportunity for the companies with the right solutions. Uh, but it's difficult as investors to stay on top of that amount of change. But, but, but that's our business. That's what we need to do as investors. Um, and I think it's also about the teams, as Danny said, the good teams as well will be able to keep up they will be able to keep implementing the changes because no one can fully future-proof their business it's about the caliber of the teams to 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 pivot and capitalize on opportunities and, and to be smart and really on the ball as well so agile mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think nikki that's an excellent point to finish on i mean uh, just what you you mentioned there i mean Look, some of my key takeaways from listening to you guys over the last uh, 40 minutes has been you know the importance of a good team um, there's going to be opportunities out there. Uh, it's just no one having the right idea, being you know, and being able to pivot to, to the right ideas. And as you mentioned, the growth in the market for agri-tech from 3 billion to 30 billion, that's only going to continue to go in one direction. So there will be capital out there for the right ideas. And, you know, it's as you as well as said that you're, you're approachable in terms of if, if people are, if there's startups out there who have ideas, 